All right, guys, this is Joe. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. The greatest thing has happened to us. Miss Lady Charles has introduced us to someone who's actually from Ken Kentucky <laughs> and actually made a movie that did not suck. Oh, and his name is not John Carpenter. <laughs> Adam Stovall, thank you so much for being on Bonehead Weekly. I can't think of a better compliment. I know it did not suck. But what I was going to, before we get started, what I want to say is, is she pitched me this idea, then I added you, and then I hadn't had a chance to message you. And when I did, I was like, yeah, we're going to watch it. And so part of me, and you know this, you have to know this, you're a film geek. Part of me is like, oh God, boy, I hope this goes well. And I'm going mm -hmm. to give you one of the best compliments I can give you. Lady Charles had the same moment. Trust me. <laughs> did she really? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, she hasn't messaged like, oh, me. Oh, this could get really awkward if it's bad. Yeah, she she didn't message me back because I only have one critique of the movie. I'm going to ask you about it later, though. And she has yet to message yeah. me back about this. So here's what it is: <laughs> not the critique. I was sitting there giggling and enjoying it, and what I really, really liked about the movie was it was well written, and the acting did not suck. <laughs> and and what i mean by that is that that's that, that's where I, I see so many low budget films and sometimes micro budget films depending on what definition you want to put to them i mean they just there's one of those things they skip out on they they they, they get their buddy george and their buddy george is funny at a party yeah but it doesn't come across as a screen and i was so impressed with your cast and you're writing and i thank you i we and james texted me 20 minutes what 20, 20 minutes james and what was what did you say i no i, I really and i was gonna say the writing of the film matter of fact i actually have i, I was stopping i stopped the film i paused it because there were a couple lines where i'm like no i've got to do this now and and so on twitter i literally stopped and i did the the a couple lines from the movie that just I mean, they're funny, but they're also just great. Like, it, it wouldn't matter where you encountered these lines; they they make you go, "Oh yeah!" Like the, and I was laughing the, um, you know, you're not real ghost, and that, we're not called that. And I was just the the back and forth there. I literally stopped and tweeted it and was like, "You all have to see this movie. You have to. I need <laughs> other people to see this because there, there's so much that's going on there." And, and, you know, it's, it's, it is uh, the way I, I said it on Twitter was it really is. If you held a gun to my head and said, what can you compare it to? It's to me, it's like as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson and Beetlejuice and a little bit of other stuff. And it just, but I was sitting there the entire, and it's also its own, own complete thing. And I really like as good as it gets is one of those movies that when I'm working or something like that, I put on the background. I'm like, this, I've got to get, I, I rented it, but you're going to sell a couple DVDs because I've got to own it now. Cause I want to go back and see it again. And, and that's probably the best compliment I can get was I've already like, now I want to hear those lines again. And I want to see them. I want to play it out a couple different times and see, and that's, but, but the, the lines of dial, I found myself also, I was emailing myself lines from the film after it was over i went back and re uh, and put it back and rewatched a couple scenes just because i like the wordplay and the, the language 
is it's 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 fun but it's got heart and and so i could go on but it yeah yeah no joe's absolutely right well, i had to stop myself and go oh wait hold on before you talk about this the movie thanks is- guys this was a really fun show uh, well you know, hold on we'll just be done delighted just- to stop by <laughs> we'll be done kissing your ass in about 30 seconds so the go also the ghost of mrs muir i i I was watching it and i was thinking there's so many other right i'm i'm assuming you've seen it you had to have saw it because i watched your movie and that's not a bad thing but i'm saying i hadn't seen it you hadn't seen it have you seen it now yes okay well you there are some Oh yeah, totally. There's so many comparisons. Um, no, I really hadn't seen I'm it. I'm going to judge you a little bit right now that the Hill Jack from Do Eastern it? Kentucky. I'm judging you a little bit right now. The Hill Jack from Eastern Kentucky had seen that that you had. But keep going. Man, they've been making movies for a very long time, I and know, I've only I'm been watching them for 42 years. So you know, you know I'll, I'll catch up eventually. She messaged um, me something. I go, "Damn you, you Australian temptress!" <laughs> send me something. Oh my god, I like when I listened to that episode, it really was just get the notes app. And like, I was like, I never even heard of some of these, uh, but it's the same thing talking to her. I, yeah. um, you know, I, I went home and was just like, Hey, arrow, I need basket case apparently because, you know, she says it's the best home video release there's ever been. Um, and <laughs> when she says it, you, you believe her. Just do it. Yes. Um, yeah. She has that accent. Thank you. And she's pretty. So you just kind of do because we're dudes and we just do it. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> but where were you going? But she knows her shit. Like, let's not oh, just be objectifying assholes here. No. Uh, no she, she knows so, far more about genre cinema than I do. Um, no, she totally does. But what I was going to say is, is I, 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 well, I've totally forgot what I was going to say. So go ahead with what your point was about after James got done kissing your ass. Uh, the point was the ass kissing. Uh, no, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, McLeod Andrews is also a Kentucky native, and I uh-huh. feel bad that he's not on this with us. But uh, he's from Louisville. Good old Louisville boy. I saw um, that. And the other actress is from Australia. Nope. That's what Natalie they... Walker. Natalie Walker serious? originally from Virginia, but lives in, is based in New York now. Well, did you? All right, Google some stuff because they've got it wrong. <laughs> What? Oh, you can always trust what the internet says. Well, I didn't have any other way of oh, researching this, damn it. Let me pull yeah, my faculty it's... thing. Uh, Mr. Lewis, if you would not use oh, Wikipedia a as an academic source. <laughs> son of a bitch. Let us, uh, let us take this opportunity to raise our bourbons to Google. Yeah, I guess I, guess I could pour a little bit of Four Roses here. Ivy, got, Good got man. So what I was going, I have several questions here as we go through. Because I want to talk yeah. to you a little bit about the making, and I want to talk to you about your history, and 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 uh, you know, because we're all from Kentucky, I want to talk a little bit about that. But another compliment I want oh, to yeah. give you, and then I'm going to stop with the compliment so much. Is Thank that you, because it, it really been, chafes at my Midwestern heritage to yeah, hear compliments. So it much. does me too. And by the way, Kentucky is Midwest. Nobody ever remembers that. Um, people always it kind of joined the South after the Civil War. Well. One of my favorite things about where, because I'm from Northern Kentucky, I grew up in Erlanger and Florence, which Kentucky. isn't real Kentucky. That's just Southern. <laughs> well, this is my point. The rest of Kentucky views Northern Kentucky as part of Ohio. The rest of Ohio views Cincinnati as part of Kentucky. Cincinnati can't stand Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky can't stand Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I, I feel like I come from the most contentious place in the world. Everything you so just my, said. My was... inner turmoil is germane. Let's at least say. 
everything <laughs> you just said was the fucking gospel. <laughs> I mean, it, it really was at cheers. It was accurate. He's absolutely right. Friend of ours lives yeah. uh, <laughs> right outside of Florence and it's everything you say is true. But what an easy trope would have been to make the dude a dumbass. And you didn't. Yeah, where's the fun in that? Yeah, but am I wrong? That would have been the easy thing. You make him affable. You make him interesting. You make him have a sense of humor so she will enjoy being around him. But the easy thing would have made him a bumbling Adam Sandler dumbass who's going around and is kind of a loser and can't get another job, has been hired this. And I was sitting there watching that going, any minute he's going to fall, any minute he's going to, and what I meant was not the character, it meant you. Any minute he's going to end up in that cliche kind of thing. And it's, you didn't. You know, we, thank you. We made this movie for very little money. And mm-hmm. both McLeod and I feel like when you're working with such a small budget and you're working at this level of filmmaking, like all you really have is novelty. And sadly, at this point in American cinema, to treat rural America and blue collar workers with respect is frankly novel. I agree. Uh, I've been a maintenance man. I've loaded airplanes. I've done a lot of jobs that would be comic relief in a studio film, uh, you know, but we, we got to kind of tell the story that excited us and make the movie that excited us. And part of what excited us was let's empathize with as I'm sure we will get into a societal taboo in the ending. But before even that, let's sympathize with characters mm-hmm. that never get empathy, that are always played for laughs uh, because most filmmakers, especially most American filmmakers, uh, which I'm far more comfortable talking about. I don't know as many international filmmakers uh, personally, but most American filmmakers come from money. They've never had a real job. So it's easy for them to put a, put a character in publishing or something and be like, I don't know, have her be around books or magazines and it looks like she does something during the day. And then we can focus on what we want to talk about, which is nothing. Uh, I don't like that. I, you know, representation matters. And I wanted to make something that, especially when like we made this movie for less than the cost of a base level Mercedes. So when you're making something at that level, there's no guarantee you'll ever make a second movie. And I wanted to make something that in 20 years, if I've never made something else, I can still throw it in and be proud of what we did. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the yeah, that's kind of how we approach that. Well, well, I'm sorry, go ahead, James. Well, I was going to say, and there's a scene that honestly, uh, the, the the toilet cleaning scene when he's he's working on the toilet and all <laughs> everybody's favorite scene and, it, well and, it's laugh out loud but he's on the yeah. phone and it is funny but at the same time i was just sitting there going it's all true it is it's, it's funny because and not to be cliche but it's true the entire line of well if you ever need anything let me know <laughs> what what did i just ask you for you know the, yeah and i literally was sitting there going you know it was like, oh oh that's but it's true. I mean, I think about all these things that we hear people say, and I think, you know, to get to some of the, the latter parts of the film, it really does sum up what we do see. It's, oh, if you need anything, let me know. But then do we really mean it? Or, or how often does that actually play out? And so that entire scene, I just stopped and went, okay, that's, that there's something there that is, yes, there's a lot of humor but there's a legitimate social message there as well of, are we just trained to say, well, if you need anything, let me know. 
and then not have any substance to that yeah or maybe i over examined it i don't know <laughs> no I don't, no i i think you're exactly right like um you know the as written the the phone call and then the immediate like oh my god you know up until i hate people i don't hate people like that was all written uh when he makes the toilet talk was an improv mcleod mm-hmm. had that idea and said hey just leave the camera running uh, made the toilet talk and I ruined the take laughing and we had to redo it a few times. Uh, I eventually just walked away. Like focus is locked. Just go. I, there's no way I'm going to make it through with a straight face. Um, that's, but, that's a fascinating thing though, because that really did add. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a great scene. I mean, the, the movie is about alienation and isolation and a need for connection. Um yeah, you know, the, and, even though I watched the full credits because I'm that guy, and you end with the line of this movie is dedicated to everyone who makes us feel less less alone, or, or something. Yeah. I may be misquoting slightly there, but no, I, I, yeah, that that I got to that part and I was like, what a great! I mean, just there, there's so much going on in the film, and like I said I'm going to have to watch it again, and 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 I, I'm not just you know as Joe would give me credit for, but it did make me actually think about what am I guilty of that we also see in that film sometimes of, of meaning well, but not doing well. You know, I'm, I'm 42 years old. And at this point in my life, I've kind of learned that like one of the biggest villains is timing, you know, so often what our lives come down to is saying something when the other person isn't ready for it or doing something or being something or whatever. And the other person's there or the other person doing something and you're not ready for it. Like, um, you know, we are, we are constantly butting into each other. And uh, as someone who has struggled with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation, I, um, I've, I've been acutely aware of the whole like, everyone is going through a struggle you know nothing about thing. Mm -hmm. I think about it all the time. And uh, I think I told Kathy one time, like I have an inherent distrust of my own perception. Um, I, I understand that like, like blue isn't the same blue to everybody. Uh, And like, once you know that, then you're just like, well, this is, everything's up for, you know, uh, wherever the, not up for debate, but up for where the ships may fall uh we we live at the mercy of the universe and it's insane to me that like we get so ridiculously lucky that we find people who love us and understand us and empathize um and when you especially when you're dealing with stuff uh growing up in northern kentucky as a uh sensitive boy in the 80s and 90s did not feel understood very often um, and I had to fight very hard to get to the point. Of- oh, I am so, um, I am so sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yes. You, you stopped for recording for half a second. We don't Is know. Is your internet happened. still shitty? <laughs> we replaced the, f- God, you did do your research. That's okay. <laughs> we, we researched sorry. each other. Cause I was going to say, why the fuck did you think JJ Abrams? But we're going to go with, that was the next question. Okay. We replaced I, the can we- inside. I can't wait to tell that story. Um, yeah, we really did pay attention, by the way. He got the quote at the okay. end, and I was going to ask you about JJ. 
Okay. Go ahead. I mean, who the hell knows what I was saying now? Oh, I don't. Want to, no, no. no uh, I was raising in Northern Kentucky. You were talking well, about. No, I was about to say. So, so talking about that and being that that sense of alienation and things like that is what you were talking about. And and as you were saying it, I mean, I this may come as a shocker, but I grew up in the Appalachian area of Kentucky, obsessed with Star Trek. And it turns out that did not make me the big. You know, I was not, let's say popular or liked or not beat up in high school i thought all the ashton ladies love data I, I, what's really funny is i have uh, somebody i went to high school with opened up a comic book store and it was when the marvel movies were starting to be big and he said it was hilarious to him that the people who used to pick on us and and quite frankly sometimes beat us up we're coming in and being like, oh, this is cool. I wish I would have knew about this before. And he said one time yeah. some, one, somebody came in and said that. And he said, I just broke down and screamed. You could have talked to us instead of hitting us. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that pretty much sums up high school. Thank you. Also, Adam, That's in like- his defense, he's an original series guy. It's even worse. It's not even like it's the next generation. I mean, it's he's just yeah, like more them. punchable. I like them all, but... <laughs> Can we at least agree that Scotty's the best engineer? Okay. We Absolutely can... no, but the idea that anyone would punch anyone over the wonder that is Leonard Nimoy is inexcusable. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but you were talking about growing up and not necessarily being a sensitive yeah. lad and not necessarily having anyone understand your sensitivity or probably your interests because we are almost the same age. I'm slightly older than you. And I grew up in rural eastern Kentucky and what they call it a holler. And I get it. I could, oh, only, only difference is, is the sense uh, I was fortunate was I was never bully bullied. But I mm-hmm. never felt, well, I was always funny. You can be funny. <laughs> bully for you. Right. You know what I mean? No, you can kind of be funny. Plus, I was a pissed off, long haired kid after my parents divorced. You know, it's, I'm a different guy. But yeah. I, I never felt like I belong either, but it's a different time now. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, especially in the last, just, 15, just the years. evolution of language has been amazing to watch. Yeah. You know, um, no, I mean, the kids are going to save us all or make it all work. I, <laughs> I did just visit my, my, the high school I graduated, uh, from which I graduated and, uh, found out that the kids these days are feral so you know i mean they're they're much more understanding of human weakness but they are also shitting on walls so who knows well which high school did you go to well no that's a trend joe are you are you not keeping up with your tiktok trends joe we actually got a message about this that there is some tiktok trend going around about demolishing the school bathroom throwing some sort of glitter on the floor or sand or something it has to be pink or something I, I literally was reading because I got the message from the principal. If your child is involved in this, please help stop them. And I was like, if my child was involved in this, A, who's driving them to the craft store to get the pink sand or glitter or whatever? <laughs> because it ain't me. <laughs> and I'm not saying I wouldn't drive them, but I wouldn't drive them if I said, what is this for again? Oh, I'm going to demolish the school bathroom. Well, it has to be really hard as a parent to ask the question, honey, did you shit on any walls today? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like it didn't occur to relationship. me i have two kids i have a pretty good relationship with them they tend to tell me a lot of different things 
but I think the first time I say, how did school go today? Oh, it was good, math, I did okay in. And, you know, when I was trying to poop on the wall, it came out very nice. It's very spherical. It left a nice design on the wall. Really, son? Is that the concrete what wall doesn't burn well. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have a Jackson Pollock joke. Anyway, <laughs> so. <laughs> what I, I, back to, well, throw it against the wall and see what, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many ways you could have went with that um, so why were you at your high school were you just visiting old friends or were you speaking uh vis visiting uh i was back uh the movie was screening for a few nights and i i got to speak at the college i attended northern kentucky university yeah but uh a friend of mine teaches actually no she's the instructional coach at uh boone county high school so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i got to go down and visit and see my my favorite teacher and thank her for being honest with me because she uh i was 18 years old and she told me you are the student teachers love and hate because you're smart but you don't apply yourself and i got to tell her that i eventually figured out my work ethic um and just really thank her uh That's which cool. was a great um and then yeah toured because this campus is completely different now yeah. and it was just walking around what was great is they have this wall of uh class photos from every year and my year is the only one not up and it's very clear that it's been taken down for some reason so i don't know if my class has been canceled or something but uh class of 97 not up see i'm class so, of go ahead in my mind it was like did you happen to go to school with the unabomber and jackson <laughs> ripper and it's like you in my mind the image is you and a bunch of people in top hats with knives and you're the only one standing there smiling that's the image i wish was missing <laughs> It's far more interesting than the truth. So, James, I'm class of 96, and I have to ask you this question, and then I'm going to tell you a Stephen King quote once you give me your answer. Did you enjoy high school? No. Good. No. <laughs> Good. That all my close, personal, deepest friends, I, I like people on both sides of the aisle, those who did and those who didn't. And even though I wasn't bullied, it was still the worst at 43 years old. It was the worst four years of my life. Still, I can look back and go, this was just an awful period, an awful time. And Stephen King has the quote is if, if, if you enjoyed high school, it's not that I dislike you. I just fundamentally don't trust you. Who could enjoy that time <laughs> in their lives of that development? The, the last two years, I played football when I started. So, you know, there's a inherent lack of accountability there. Yeah. And then my last two years, I was in a theater troupe uh, and no one from my school had ever been in it. And I don't think anyone from my school has ever been in it since. But so they, they had no communication with the, the place that ran the theater troupe. So they didn't know the schedule. So if I didn't want to be in school, I would just say I had a a show that day and I could go around and get all my work and then just leave. So I would constantly just like go to like, and I mean, I was a nerd. I was going to like the, you know, the movies and the library and I wasn't going anywhere cool. Uh, but I mean, they were cool to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I really, I had a lot of really bad teachers, like a lot of bad teachers, um, which is why it was so easy to name the one that I would want to visit. Cause she was really good. Um, and that's that held true even when I went to college. I had a professor one time get the number of continents wrong, and they were a poli sci professor. And I was just like, you know what? I think I'm done. Uh, I don't trust any of you. Um, so you know, see where we are now. But uh, yeah, 
I did not enjoy the experience of high school at all, and I don't seek to revisit it or relive it. That's that's what uh, is interesting, and I think with social media, we see that now. I don't know why, but I'm on social media, and and occasionally people I went to high school with add me, and it's so funny. We had a we had our 20th anniversary you know, house, and they kept going, you should come, you should come. And I, for, I literally sat for a day going, well, you know, if they really want me. And then I stopped and went, these people couldn't stand me. Like they, I don't know what they think has changed. And what I realized was that I've done, okay, I'm not phenomenal, but it's, I don't know. I So I ended up not going. Uh, well, you're not dead, James. It almost feels no less like they want you there and more that they just want, everyone there to fulfill their idea of nostalgia yeah and some of them peaked that was right. the best time of their lives yeah which used to bother me and now i just find sad because i choose to live my life as if i have not peaked right seriously yeah it's just yeah. my it's just Every time I do something else and check another box, it's, oh, yeah, here's another step. I just choose to live my life that way. I want ambition. I want to do things. And some of them, yeah, like the idea of the better. It depresses me the idea that, like, the best music has already been made. And I feel like you can apply that to everything. The idea that your best day has already happened. Yes. You know, like when I talk to, uh, much older people. When I talk to people in their 80s and 90s, like, and they're they're just talking about how much they want to die, I kind of get it because you you are constantly confronted with how irrelevant society has decided you are now. You know, like it's kind of demonstrable that your best days are behind you, and that has just gotta be terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, and if your best days happened when you were 16 years old, like, oh, I don't even know how to deal with that bucket of shit. It is a bucket of shit. It is. And I see them on social media and we're going to get off this topic in a second, but we don't get a chance to talk about it. We, I see them on social <laughs> media and I think oh, they're still, they, you can see them. They'll add you and they're still talking. It's the same people. It's the same yeah. groups. Yeah. And it hasn't changed. A, a friend of ours once made the observation and, and it comes into my head sometimes um, uh, we would be driving somewhere and, and he would literally stop and we'd be driving through some small town and he just occasionally would just look around and he goes some people live and die just here just yeah. here they never see anything else and I always thought about that and it still comes into my head occasionally like I'll be I'm going to call out a place. And if any of our listeners are from this area and want to come and, and attack me, my name is Joe Lewis and I live at, no, anyway, um, <laughs> but there's a very small place in this city docks, called. Docks, 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 His name is very- Adam Stovall. You can check <laughs> yeah. out A Ghost Waits on yeah. iTunes, Amazon. You son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no, but. There's a small place in Mississippi called Enterprise, Mississippi, and there's north. There's two exits off the interstate for this place: North Enterprise and South Enterprise. And I was driving once, and I had to use the facilities. I needed gas, and I saw this place said gas station. It listed a gas station that listed four restaurants, 
and I pull off and they were like clear cutting like the forest in this area and I'm like okay cool uh, it says gas and restaurants about three miles this way I get there it's a one pump gas station and there's three quote-unquote restaurants inside this gas station but it's one guy that just goes between the different stations now I'm not knocking Enterprise Mississippi it's it I got gas I was able to use the facilities but it was it was one of those things I was driving and it, that quote came back to my head of some people live and die in Enterprise Mississippi not knocking it yeah. please again. and by and, the way that's fine and that's fine. It's just not it, good for me. And that's not it. And that's there's it. anything wrong with that. Not yeah. that but it's true. No, Adam, that's yeah. the thing that I didn't realize till I was in my 30s, that that was just fine for those folks. If, and if yeah. you're really happy, if you're fulfilled, and that's the thing that it's going back to your quote about people in their 90s, 80s and 90s. One of my favorite, and I'm hoping I can live my life this way, to kind of speak to that. Uh, I'm married my wife's grandfather. You uh, married your wife's grandfather? No. I'm married, and my wife's grandfather passed away. I think he was 96. Where the fuck is this going? Hold on. Let me get to the point, Jeff. This is very biblical. He, he was probably one of those people that was like that, and then he got a diagnosis that he had cancer. And that night, he went home, and, and my wife's grandmother was still alive as well. She made dinner, and she made Brussels sprouts or something. And she, you know, she said, well, I'll fix your plate. What do you want? And she's, he's, she said, do you want a lot of Brussels sprouts? And he goes, I don't want Brussels sprouts. And he, she said, well, you, Douglas, you've had Brussels sprouts every year since I've known you. And he goes, I'm going to be honest with you. I never liked them. I ate them because you made them. But now that I got cancer, I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table. And I, I thought about what does that mean? How great is that? And that's how he lived. You know, he lived another about another year. And it was just like, I'm going to do what I want to do within reason. I mean, he wasn't jumping Harleys over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. But he didn't. He was like, you know what? I want to go see something. I'm just going to go see it. And that's and so I'm hoping. That long that, you know, I will have that sort of thing instead of the please put a pillow over my head and, and this. But I have a feeling we're going to revisit that theme during this conversation <laughs> well, we but are. i know you're dying to ask me about jj so yes well also i was about to tell james we need to shut the hell up because we clearly had a guest this week so oh, i know i'm sorry jj sorry. why did you thank him okay so uh i was a film journalist before yeah. i worked in production and um I won't get into the whole story, but I ended up uh, getting an exclusive interview with him. Mm -hmm. um, I had to jump through some hoops. Didn't know that I was jumping through hoops. Just thought, oh, this is what happens when you want to talk to somebody who has a huge movie coming out. Um, he had, we got word there would be an email interview. I submitted all my questions and then we get word that's going to be a phone interview and I'm going to have 20 minutes with it. Uh, Turns out this is an exclusive. He had reviewed everybody's questions and I was the one chosen. That's and cool. the reason I was chosen is that I knew because I'm not a dummy and I like J.J. Abrams, that the one movie, like he's putting out Super 8. So the one movie he's not going to talk about is Super 8. So all my questions were about the road to Super 8. And one of them, and I, I told him, I said, I could ask you, we could fill this entire thing with questions about Alias. I love Alias. I have one question about Lost. 
before Lost premiered, it's not like the world was clamoring for an hour drama about a time traveling island. How do you do that? And he said, you know, the thing is, you have to have faith that you're not alone in this world. If you want to see something, somebody else wants to see it too. Yeah. And as someone who grew up feeling absolutely alone in this world, that kind of opened up my brain and became a North Star for me. Because what it told me was write personally and write honestly and write something that you want to see because you are probably not the only person in the world that wants to see it. And if it's something that you acutely want to see, it's that's because, at least for me, um, it's because it doesn't exist. You know, it's much easier not to write a movie than to write a movie. So if I have an idea that's already been done, I'll just pop some popcorn and watch that bitch. So uh, I kind of don't really start working until uh, I don't think it works, which is just say I haven't seen it work. And then I have a puzzle to solve. Yeah. Um, And so I just I always have JJ in my head when I'm writing, like, have faith you're not alone. That was a huge thing for me to hear at the time. It's a beautiful story. I got a follow up for that. When you were skipping class in high school and being mm-hmm. alone, what were you what were you watching? What were you going to the movies to see in Northern Kentucky? You know, I don't know why this is the one I remember. It's a dog shit movie. Oh, it's okay. It's, <laughs> but I remember going to see Anaconda. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> not like i've never seen any of the sequels it has no bearing on my life but that's the one i remember skipping school to see these guys give me shit all the time there's a movie with treat williams called deep rising that i absolutely uh, i adore it and he was on gilbert godfrey's podcast going he gets asked about it all the time even though it's steven somers before he did the mummy in his in his craziness and it's just a movie that i know sucks but I think Kari Wurr was in Anaconda. I I really yeah. liked I really liked Kari Wurr. She like did just a ton of B movies and was like absolutely somebody that like they would cast her because she was gorgeous and would take her clothes off. But like I always felt like she was a really good actress uh-huh. um, that just never got her cred because she would be in you know what nowadays would be a sci fi movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I'm pretty sure she was in that. Yeah, Super Gator versus the Anaconda. Or Anaconda NATO. Can we make that work? Can we make that work? Shark Apocalypse. Right now, I will write, James and I will write it for Asylum and have the first draft in by the end of the weekend. So yeah, I mean, I've got I've got LA's on tap. I'm good. We're good. We'll we'll ignore our children. We'll do it for the for the screenwriting credit alone. You don't even really have to pay us. Yeah. So <laughs> sci-fi movies thrive on abandoned children. Oh my god, that that should be the name of this episode. <laughs> yes, they really should. They really should. So, what was the? This is a question I ask often, but I'm I'm always at, well, I ask it of people I'm interested in. What what was it that got you when we were a kid? Was there a movie or a book that 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 kind of bit you and gave you the bug? The the earliest memory I had have of like these matter to me was sitting in my basement on Hallam Avenue in Edgewood, Kentucky, mm-hmm. watching the network debut of Back to the Future, during which they were going to show the trailer for Back to the Future 2. 
and I was holding my Back to the Future storybook and I had my little Chef Boyardee pizza and it's just like, you know, I feel like this means something. Um, the your one that was, like, in your really potatoes. set me on the path. Yeah. 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 The one that really set me on the path that was Pulp Fiction. I saw Pulp Fiction. I, I went, I helped my dad. My dad and I helped his friend move, his best friend, Jerry Taylor, uh, move into a house in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. And been there. Um, yep. And Drunk we many times. went to, oh God, I mean, I was a child, so I don't have that experience. But I have uh, so many experiences in Mount Sterling. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we went to you know we we finished moving him and we went to applebee's for dinner and they had drunk at that applebee's there you go that's what i'm here for is just to facilitate memories of drunken revelry we never have anybody who knows where the fuck we're talking about and <laughs> yeah. i know where you're talking about keep yeah. going uh no he had a newspaper and there was a big ad for pulp fiction and he said oh i've heard this is good so the three of us went to see it and I remember I was sitting in the row in front of the two of them and it's unspooled. And when it was over, I turned around and said, can we do that again? And they said, no. Uh, so <laughs> I had to wait a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. I was like 14, 15 years old. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 16. Maybe. It's a perfect I don't know. time yeah, to melt your brain. I mean, at least you saw, I was also like raised in a church. So the idea of a hitman like doing a bullshit Bible verse, like every bit of that movie just like worked for me. I, my brain was on fire. I uh, agree. And I got to thank Quentin for that actually uh, at a Q&A one time. But yeah, that's, that's really uh, Pulp Fiction completely set me on this path. So to me, it's the most important film made in the last 30 years. Most important American film made in the last at least yeah thirty years. Okay, it's Pulp Fiction to me. I I agree I mean, with you. I mean that's a fair, it's a totally fair argument. Yeah. I, I mean there are you could argue other points to me, and I will listen to them. But to me, uh, it's kind of changed every damn thing. It, it yeah, really did. There's some others. There's some movies that came out in the ninety and ninety nine, and we did a whole episode on it that, that were influential too. But I don't know that anything was had the same impact as at least you watched it with your dad i watched it with my mom and you started having that conversation about the holiest oh, of holies my mom so i i came back from the trip and an evangelist i would talk constantly about pulp fiction and so i remember my my friends and i went and saw a tales from the crypt movie i do not remember if it was bordello of blood or demon knight but we went and saw a tales from the crypt movie and my mom and her friend my friend's mom went and saw pulp fiction and the look of betrayal on my mom's face walking out of it i will never forget and like now my mom was like oh yeah it's an american classic like it, it meant so much but at the time adam why do you like something that says the n-word and the f-word so much <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> what you mentioned, like, I don't know. Our neighbors do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned you know growing up in a church and and things like that. Did that? And I guess that you kind of got to this already. Did that impact what was considered? Because I've always been, I find it curious what how parents navigate what their children can watch. And now that I have kids, I'm I'm playing that game as well. So I mean, how was that navigated? Because in, in my family, I mean, for instance, violence percent. was fine. It 
a thousand percent. I remember, oh God, she would hate, she'll never know about this. She would hate me telling the story. My mom, I, so I bought, I was a huge comedy nerd growing up. I came to horror very late. I had the Martin Lawrence You So Crazy album on cassette and I listened to it on a Walkman because I knew I couldn't listen to it out loud. Mm-hmm. If I listen to it out loud, that shit is getting shut down. Mm-hmm. And so my mom then one day grounds me because she said, I was standing outside your door and I heard you listening to that album. So just the mere finding of the cassette, because I definitely wasn't listening to it out loud. Yeah, that shit scars a person. Um, Mom has always cared about like checking in on like, okay, what are we loving? Like uh, when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was my favorite show, she asked to borrow the DVD so she could see it and watch some of it. It was just like, oh yeah, this writing is amazing. All right, fine. I was also like, I'm 20. You don't get to decide. Actually, I was in my thirties at that point, I think. Like you don't get to decide what I watch. Uh, I just, but I appreciate you taking an interest. Uh, I'm slightly jealous listening to this. What is supposed to be wonderful? Your parents took an interest and asked you what you were into? Mom did. Mom did. Dad traveled traveled a lot. I know that feeling. feeling, But it's interesting because that was my my parents' approach, especially my father's. And Joe knows this story. Like I have a younger sister that's six years younger. So when I was was permitted to see R-rated films like Sleepy Hollow, and then if my younger sister wanted to see him, I had to, which was a horrible, horrible burden to bear that my father would be like, all right, take some money, go see this movie, see if it's okay for your younger sister. Okay. Go see a uh, Star War. Yeah, yeah it, it was close <laughs> to that. But my sister at the time, she would have been, I don't know, 11 or something. And I really want to see Sleepy Hollow. I really want, okay, fine. And so I, uh, I had seen it and my dad said, well, what's in it? And, and I said, well, dad, it's, the headless horseman and it's a modern he takes people's heads off dad and my father Mm -hmm. literally didn't miss a beat going is there sex in it no no there's not a lot of sex in it dad it's victorian literally the next word a lot of foul language no no i mean they're very victorian appropriate there may be a i don't know a dam or something but and he goes so what happened i was like well there's an axe that removes the head at one point and he goes well this is a quote from my father that I will carry with me till either dementia or my grave takes it away. Your sister needs to know that if her head is hit with an ax, it is going to have an impact. <laughs> and, I, and so he let her go see it. And I'll never forget that because it was like, okay, but if I would have said no, it's every other word is the F word. It's like, oh, no, she ain't seeing that. But yes. violence. Is so good. much sex. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Sex and language that kills it. But if it's just violence by that, which explains like, my dad's obsession yeah. with explosions he used to rate movies by that moved quickly there was a lot of explosions okay dad thanks but orgasms don't count okay dad i see where you are <laughs> this is a explosions of a different kind <laughs> so you graduate high school and you've got this mm-hmm. film bug going why did you go to nku yep. well i went to the army first and that was a horrible mistake um I, you know i because I grew up a film nerd, I read and listened to and watched a lot of interviews with filmmakers. And 
a lot of filmmakers when they're interviewed will tell you if you can be happy doing anything else do that do that so i spent my 20s trying to do anything else i ran bars and restaurants i worked in politics i was a door-to-door salesman for a while which was even worse than the army possibly um you know i i, I really tried to do just anything else and nothing took um and I, I got to, I was, I was 29 years old. I was living alone in an apartment in East Walnut Hills, Cincinnati, uh, with my dog, Lizzie, who mm-hmm. was just the best. And she died. And the first time, like, I went home and she wasn't there. Uh, I was working third shift at DHL at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would record stuff and then get home in the morning and watch it. And she would, you know, she's a dog. She doesn't give a shit. So she would wander the apartment or sleep on my bed. But when I watched Friday Night Lights, she would, for some, whatever reason, climb up with me on the, on the couch, put her head on my leg and watch it with me. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I watched Friday Night Lights without her, I really kind of acutely or, or clearly saw my life. And I said, there's, I can't keep doing this. So at 29, I said, all right, if I'm still doing this at 31, I'm just going to kill myself. Um, and I decided to sell as much of my stuff as possible and move to LA and pursue film. And, uh, I was also in the midst of a multi-year depression for myriad reasons. And, uh, when I got to LA, I thought, you know, if I move 2,500 miles and just sit in my room, I'm going to feel pretty stupid. So like just that got me out. And I started volunteering in a screening series for Creative Screenwriting Magazine. And after doing that for a few months, the guy who was the editor of the magazine who ran the series said, uh, asked me if I wanted to do an article. And I said, oh, yes, very much so. Yes, please. Because uh, I've been reading the magazine forever. Uh, so I covered a little movie called Management that no one's, almost no one's seen. But they liked the article. And so I did that for a few years and eventually became a contributing editor to the magazine, which was when I interviewed JJ and mm-hmm. Wes Anderson and Edgar Wright and Lars von Trier and a bunch of people. Oh, uh, you got to tell us Lars von Trier. So once you get done with this, you've got to go back. So, yeah. Uh, um, you know, and then print died. And I, the, the checks were already kind of small. And then they became tiny. And I was like, well, this is just not worth my time. Uh, so I transitioned to production. Um, but yeah, that was kind of what kickstarted it. And I, you know, I, I PA'd on some TV shows and I got a gig on a feature, a no budget feature that was shooting in Louisville, Kentucky called Split, which is a bowling romantic comedy written, directed by Jamie Buckner. Uh, I was not supposed to be the second AD, but they lost some people and you know battlefield promotions being what they are i was the second ad on my first feature um which was a great education because it's it was like a front row seat and i got to see where money needs to go versus where money goes out of habit mm-hmm. um because jamie and our producer Lyman creason and a bunch of people had been working in kind of uh student had been working in the studio world for a while so and they had thought that they would have a you know a seven figure budget as opposed to a five figure budget um and yeah i I just got to see kind of the obstacles that came with that so when it was done um and that's where i met mcleod because he Mm -hmm. was acting in the movie and we just became we kind of instantly became good friends 
Um, and that led to us like wanting to work together. I'd written a script that he really liked that we, um, that just never got off the ground. And then I wrote another script that we really liked that we spent a year trying to make and got close and it didn't happen. Um, but that year living together, pursuing this kind of solidified the friendship um, and taught me a lot about him and his, his approach. So like, I, I helped him put together his reel at one point and like watching all the stuff that he had done uh, because he's so talented, he gets cast to like, played characters who have lost their mind or are losing their mind. And I was like, yeah, you're really good at it, but I want to see you fall in love and save the world because mm -hmm. you are a mountain of talent. Um, and so, you know, when, when a ghost waits became a viable project, it was just like, great. I get to write a showcase for my best friend. Let's do this. It's so funny because I said, made that comment earlier, you know, a lot of times people just kind of, they kind of get cast their best friend, especially in low budget, because they know they can get them and they can afford them and they're great, but they don't necessarily translate to film. And he does. He, yeah, he really carries the movie in the best possible way. Um, and that's, yeah, we, we, I wish we could have had him on the show too. I didn't even think about that, but he carries the movie in the best possible way. And I believe him. And he just, like that fine line we were talking about earlier that not only you walk as a director, but he walks as an actor of funny, affable, not a dumbass. Mm -hmm. No, you know, it's just, that's so easy because it's just so easy to go over here and go for the easy gag for the easy joke. Well, you know, when, when we made this, um, like I said, we spent 2014 trying to make another movie and got very close and I took it very hard when it didn't happen. And I went back uh, to start in 2015 to Northern Kentucky to kind of figure out what my next move was. I, I, cause I really had just no idea. And at that point I felt like an existential mistake. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I wasn't supposed to be here because I just didn't feel functional. Um, I saw everybody else making life work and it felt beyond me. So, um, yeah, I got to a point where I thought maybe I should just take myself off the table and let somebody else have this spot because they can probably use it better. But I've always wanted to make a movie and it's the only thing that I feel like I might be able to do. So let's take, let's just, take a shot at this. Let's, um, you know, we know we're not going to have a lot of money, so let's not make that a, a, an excuse. And let's honestly take all the excuses off the table because I, I needed to not be able to hide behind anything. I needed to know that I can make a movie and do it well, because if I can't, I do not have a backup plan. Um, and that is, you know, that's once you absolve yourself of the fear of failure or whatever it is that's that's keeping you from doing what you want to do whatever the insecurity or the doubt or the fear is once you take that off the table and you say i'm afraid i'm not a person um it's remarkable what you can achieve and part of that is because i think a lot of people make a movie 
because they think it's cool and they want to be at the party and they want to be a filmmaker and you know and and having and like having a movie is cool but like making a movie is not cool at all it's humbling and humiliating and you have health scares um and the biggest lesson i learned in the course of the five years it took to make a ghost waits is that uh you really have to humble yourself before the movie the movie is the boss you are not the boss of the movie so the movie will tell you what's working and what's not and you might love your ideas but the movie will tell you if it's a good idea if it's if it's an idea that can that works or not um and you have to remain open to hearing that and and recognizing it because i definitely fought like there were some scenes that i just fought tooth and nail because i was like but my idea is so good and we was just like eh, not for here kill your mind um, yeah yeah it, it, it is that um and and because i like one of the really fun things about talking about this movie is, you know, it, it totally turns into therapy because like, because I was at such a dark place when I made it, like the process of making it taught me to trust my instincts and learning to trust my instincts beget self-esteem and self-worth and self-confidence. I remember telling somebody on a date like a bunch of years ago, like, I think confidence is a myth um and now I'm like oh no it actually does exist i just had no glimpse of it at the time um but i never would have gotten there had i not taken the very hard path of making a no budget feature <laughs> it's and having the support of like an amazing person like mcleod and you know Corey luffler and brian and jen price and you know uh a bunch of friends who really were there for me at very dark times well, but it's really interesting because you, you talk about being at a dark place. Uh, but I mean, to me, and again, the, the movie is is oddly affirming. It is it is you know even yeah. even given how everything it is all about you know finding your place and finding that it's okay to find that place and maybe everybody else doesn't understand it. Uh, not wanting to spoil the end of the movie immediately, but. You know, I think one part of the film that really uh, another part of the film that I thought was beautiful was that that phone conversation at the end. Where it's, I'm sorry about mm. the mess, but it's it's also this nobody is going to understand this. And as I heard about as I watched that scene, I thought about how many times have I had, you know, I I work in Mississippi, but I live in Kentucky. That's my life, and that's the way. And and it's one of those things. Even my wife says, you know, other people don't have to understand that that's that's us right that's for us and and so watching yeah. that scene really played out for me because i i can't explain why i've done what i've done to people because yeah. i don't it, there's no words for it and so that that there, part of the movie i i literally again it was another scene where i'm like this is just there's there's a lot of beauty to that thing to that scene where it's like you know if this is what has stopped me from as a friend of ours used to say if that's what stops you from climbing the bell tower then good that's your thing it's good it's fine you don't have to worry about what the town council says do what stops you from climbing the bell tower there's a scene in the movie walk the line where uh johnny cash and his band are in the studio for the first time and they're playing a song and the engineer just stops them and says fellas no one wants to hear a bunch of guys they've never heard of play a song they've heard too many times mm -hmm. let's say you're walking down the street and you're hit by a truck 
and you're lying in the ditch bleeding out and you have time before you die to sing one song that speaks to your time on this planet what's that song yep and because of the state that i was in that was kind of how i wrote a ghost waits was just i may never get to make another movie i may never get to do any of this again so what is something that i can say that feels true and that I don't feel like is being said elsewhere. So uh, my two favorite things in the movie, I, I, I love this movie, but my two favorite things in this movie are um, the scene after they get rid of Rosie when he kind of opens up to Muriel and that voicemail, because those acutely were the two scenes where I thought, okay, if I never do anything else i am happy with this being the legacy i leave yeah i don't know i think i think think that's it i think there's something to those scenes that i said it, it had a resounding impact on me just watching it and just knowing that you know i've done stuff and i don't know what's next and and i have i as we often talk about on the show we've tried to make movies before and I dream of writing a novel and all that stuff. And I have ideas. It's those endings that keep getting in the way. But that being (laughs) said, those pesky endings, I can give you a pretty good beginning, a fair middle. It's that ending that eludes me usually. But I I think that's, I I, I like, you know, the idea that, you know, depending on how one views the afterlife, depending on that, you know, there's, there's, there's no one way. And, and there's no, I can't, uh, I can't live to Facebook expectations of my high school friend. I don't want to live to their expectations. I don't yeah. want to. And so, I, again, there's so many parts of this movie that I was like, oh, man, this is, this is great. And it's, it's um, and we don't need the, sorry to ruin your expectations, Dad, but we don't need the explosions. I don't need, you know, uh, I don't need. Well, we, we need catharsis. And that was, that's kind of a thing that like McLeod and I have learned is like what we do. It's why we collaborate so well is, you know, we both believe as, as, as McLeod recently said, life is too short not to play and not to ask big questions. Um, Stories need catharsis. And the ending of this movie, um, especially originally it ended a different way and the original ending just felt small to me because and i and i think this is a problem with a lot of uh modern american cinema uh especially independent is it just feels like when you get to the ending everything the characters thought at the beginning has been validated um if you're angry it's an angry ending if you're happy it's a happy like it just it tends to feel very static to me and the one thing I knew I really wanted was a transcendent ending and there's no transcendence in uh, oh look I was right Uh, transcendence happens when you open yourself up and let in other perspectives and kind of I mean, again, remain humble and, you know, you, you might know a lot, but you don't know everything. And I, I, my favorite stories are, I was surprised by this, 
You know, I had given up on love. Love exists. I didn't think I could leave my hometown. I left my hometown. I, you know, whatever it is. Um, people are currently shitting on it, but like Field of Dreams has a very cathartic ending because the whole thing is I miss my dad. Hey, look, there's my dad. You know, Magnolia is a three and a half, three hour and 10 minute movie about I miss my dad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that he, the dude like, well, you're never going to get that. So just make an opera and, you know, have it look great. Um, yeah, I, I think film is really, I think cinema is really exciting because it gets to pull from so many different art forms. And I think that gives us, I think because of that, we have a responsibility to make it bigger than ourselves. Well, and, and, and again, I, the, so many lines in this movie really resonated with me. And, and I've, I've got to ask because, you know, it's writing the movie and, and doing things like that. One line that just, I, I, I'll be honest, I paused it and was like, that's just a great line. It is a mockery to use scars that are not your own. Thank you. That is because, I, but, and again, I tie this to what I see in the world. You know, I, I think about, um, uh, the social media always comes to mind. The amount of people that go, oh, and let me tell you all the tragedy that has happened. And it seems like we, mm-hmm. we bounce between those two worlds. It's either I'm going to present how everything I do is awesome and we package that reality or we go over yep. here and be like, everything is awful and only happens to me. And, and, and so and I'm simplifying probably, but that line of it's, it's a mockery to use scars that aren't your own is... I was like, oh, that is, again, it, I think it gets to, you know, the, the idea that what actually causes us pain, what do we actually experience for pain, and then when are we just reacting because, well, this is what people expect, or this is what, you know, I have to project that this really hurt, and, and, and the back and forth of that, and again, so many other applications for that line, it did, it made me stop and go, that is just great, like Shakespearean level commentary on several <laughs> oh. different things. Thank you very much. So um, I, again, there, there's I, just a lot of that in the film that I really did appreciate. Well, thank you. I, and your point about social media is really interesting because I do think we spend a lot of our time trying to define ourselves by our best moments while we define others by their worst. Yes. And, you know, the, the middle ground is a rich terrain uh, where most of us live all the time. Yeah. We do things that we're ashamed of and we do things that we're proud of. And uh, it, I heard a quote recently, you, you can't be afraid to reach into the dark to pull another hand into light. Like, I think we, it is very easy to allow ourselves to be uncharitable and to treat others as a monolith because we're tired because there's a lot going on and uh, language is evolving and society is evolving and it's just a lot. But if we, if we say that the world is bad because people do bad things and then we allow our things because the world is bad, all we are doing is agreeing with those we profess to hate. And it is exhausting and it is, and it is exhausting on many levels. But I, I really just firmly believe that we 
have to hold ourselves to a higher standard and we have to, you know, I'm a big believer in you must be the change you want to see in the world. Remain kind. Above all else, remain kind because, I mean, not only do you just not know what other people are going through, but why not? Like, if we want goodness in the world, what chance does that have of existing if we ourselves are not good and are not kind? If we are constantly passing the buck for behavior that we want to see, what chance does any of us have? I have a follow-up. Okay. And this is unusual because I'm usually with on with all the questions, but I've, I've had a hard time getting in with James, which is actually, it's cool for our listeners. So I don't know how to talk about the ending without giving the ending away. That's the problem. I'm Do it. Here. Give it away. Well, first of all, I want to say we're talking to Adam Stoffel, Ghost of Weights. You can find that Ghost Weights on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon. You can and rent you it there. You should find it. And you Seriously, should find you go it. Go find that movie. You can and also I'm, buy the Blu-ray, which I worked very hard on. <laughs> Well, and I will be like I said. I and we haven't bought that. the Blu-ray. We will buy. We'll, we'll do that. So, I just want to see that. Most people don't one. have media players anymore, but if you do, honestly, oh. I worked very hard. As you can see over my shoulder, I'm a big physical media nerd. So we I did a whole episode hard. on it about seven episodes ago. About how about it's essential. Tangible. Disney yeah. cannot re-edit my version right over there. Yeah. iTunes can't pull it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. That being said, go out and get the movie. Now, if you haven't seen it, I kind of I, I I want you to not listen to it now because we're going to talk about the end. So I'm trying to figure put it in out. the notes. What's the time? We'll figure out the time code and like put it in the notes where they can skip ahead to. Oh, that's not a bad idea. I know how podcasts work. You should totally produce this show because I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> we we make stuff up. I do not right. a producer and they quit like seventy. I'm so tired. <laughs> One hundred and fifty episodes ago. I, I'm sorry. Here's the thing is I can't figure out, and I think, and this is a compliment because it's obviously gave me a visceral reaction that I have thought about now for 48 hours, off and on. Is this the thing you texted Kathy about? Yeah. 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 Because, and she didn't text me back. So I I wonder if she's offended. I hope not because I really like her. I really enjoy talking to her. But I think that I'm projecting myself too much on your ending. Because the reason it, the reason I think is it's because once we get to that point of he's made the decision and he pulls the Crown Vic or the Grand Marquis, I can't remember what it is, into the, I think it's a Crown Vic, right? Into the garage to turn it on and close it. My problem is, is that I, I don't know if it's because I was also raised religious in a background. I don't know if that's still back here in the lizard brain. If it's because... It just bothers me that it seems a waste of life. So I, I and I hope you don't get offended about any of this stuff. Not at all. I, I think I really wanted to talk to you about this. And it was, and as we were leading up today, I was writing down some questions. I'd have a meeting. I'd write down another question or type it down and send the uh, document to myself. And I'm like, man, I want to talk to him about this, but I don't know you. And, and we're not that kind of show to kind of go at it with the guests. We can't be, and we're not that. We're, we want to have a good time and talk to you about movies. But it bothered me. And I remember telling someone afterwards, well, would you like it? I was like, yeah, the ending. Why the fuck does he kill himself? He has a life to live. She lived her life. This is happening. I mean, they're at totally different points. Why does this have to happen this way? This seems like she's 
And I'm wondering if it's my person, if there's, if it's this, because you bring yourself in with everything, if I'm projecting mm -hmm. feelings I have about suicide, and then we start talking about, we start talking to you and we start talking about the issues that you've had, that you've been completely open with us about, which you have no idea how much we appreciate. I know we bullshit and we ramble and go back and forth, but we so thank you for that. Uh, that you're that Ooh. honest with us and sharing with us. So I, I'm, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. How do you reconcile that in your brain of, I went through this. It makes a little more sense to me now that that's what you were going through when you wrote it, but he has a life mm -hmm. to live. Do you see where I'm going with this? She had her shot. Yes, I do. She, and that yes. do you see my criticism from where I, from my perspective of she had her shot. Who's to say mm -hmm. they can't? I don't in, want to. In an I know odd he wants to be fate, with her. Joe. Huh? In an odd twist of fate, and I know this never happens on this show, but I went the exact opposite. He's living now. See, he was going through the motions before, and and and, and putting it in the perspective of you know it's it's to me making it I guess more symbolic. But what is I read it as what is expected versus what is needed. And, and so I kind of played with that idea of, again, and like you said, I bring myself into it. We all do. But it was one of those things where, you know, I think about all the times I've done what I quote unquote was supposed to do, be the mm -hmm. reliable person, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then you stop one day and be like, okay, well, is this it? Is this, I mean, is this how I want to live? Yeah. Forever. Also, and so, so I, I, I'm going to go exact opposite of you on this, Joe. I know. Shocker. Before uh, you, before you, before you talk about it, Adam, the thing is, is I feel, uh, so we've done several short films and we did a movie called Reminiscence before Hugh Jackman. So it's so funny <laughs> 17 years later to see on the big screen, Hugh Jackman's Reminiscence, which is nothing like ours, by the way. And, but which deals with similar james agreed our short film yeah, yeah. I think and, was our best short film deals with some similar stuff to this only it's it's at the end of life dealing with what we've went through and i, I was remembering that and thinking that that young man because we changed would have enjoyed your ending now more than this 43 year old father of a four-year-old does does that make sense and yeah i mean I you know think, the story and, about and I'm less, I'm less religious year by year. Well, you and know I the story about Spielberg saying that like he could never end Close Encounters now the way he did then because, because he's selfish. So he could never, he could never have a character leave their family. Yeah, no, no, because he's selfish. Right? Um, Richard Dreyfuss gets on that thing and leaves. His kids yeah. are back here and his wife's here. He yeah. has, he has a responsibility to those. So now Jack doesn't. Do you get where I'm going with this? But yes. it's been, yeah, yeah. here's your compliment. Even though I was calling bullshit, I was like, I don't know about the bullshit ending. And she didn't respond. But that was my visceral reaction. And 48 yeah. hours later was thinking about it. And I'm now talking to the director, expressing that as I've analyzed it, is it because I'm in a different place? Is it because, A, I do these things at different conventions? And a few years ago, I admitted on live radio that they were doing something because it's a paranormal and horror movie that I don't believe in ghosts or any of that bullshit, which went over not well at all. <laughs> Silence in that room. 
when the lead guy who does the main room goes, I don't believe in any of this bullshit. It's great on the screen, though. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why we don't get it's good content. It's great content. Um, There's tons of books here all over the place. It's great content. Now that I've said all that, I'd like your perspective. Sure. Let me let me start by saying um, I would never I will I will never seek to diminish anyone's feelings of grief and loss. If you have lost someone to suicide, I I am here for you, and I I I will never never tell you you're wrong. Uh, I will never diminish your feelings of grief and loss. There is a lot of art and culture for people who have lost someone. There is staggeringly little for those we lose. When you make a movie for very little money, the, the great thing about it is that you are freed from the idea that you have to fill, like you have to hit the four quadrants. You don't yeah. even have to hit one quadrant. One no. quadrant. I told McLeod at one point, like there's a, there's a musical called Title of Show and there's a song in it called Nine People's Favorite Thing. I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. We made a movie for nine people um, because the, the freedom that I had was to say something that I wish someone else had said. I wish this movie existed when I was 15 years old. I would probably be a healthier person if it had. Mm. Um, because I am acutely familiar with suicidal ideation and everything that goes with it. Um, and because I know how close I've come to not being here today, um, I feel like I can speak to it. And especially, you know, I like when I was writing this, depression gets uh, represented in film, but it tends to be the very dramatic sorts of depression, whether it's bipolar disorder, manic depression, all that stuff. Um, and Looks I, I good visually. It. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not my experience. My experience of depression is that it's wallpaper that's very good at convincing you you don't deserve walls. And well, that's a good word. I wanted to talk about that. Um, and the nice thing about making a movie uh, is like, is like I have 80 minutes of your attention because when I try to talk about it in, in interpersonal conversation, uh, especially suicidal ideation, people just say, not ah, that anybody should ever do that, which doesn't help anything, no. you know, because if you are struggling with it, all that does is further other you because you, you're struggling with something existentially that you can't talk about with anybody because nobody feels uh, comfortable or confident or even able to discuss. So because I have been down this road and, and know the terrain fairly well, um, I, I kind of feel like it's my moral imperative to talk about it because I know how much it means to me when people talk about the things that I struggle with. So if I can be that person for somebody else, I mean, tell me a better legacy to be a part of. And we've had that happen. Uh, we've had, you know, I, I remember like after Fright Fest last August, um, somebody posted in the Facebook group, I need to talk about the ending with Ghost Weights. I worry that it romanticizes suicide and glamorizes it and will make people do it. And somebody else, uh, and I, I don't feel like I should chime in because I made the movie, but somebody else responded saying, I struggle with this. And 
a movie is not going to make me kill myself. A song is not going to make me kill myself. A TV show is not going to make me kill myself. But a movie, a song, a TV show can make me feel seen and heard. Mm. And so instead of worrying about what the masses, the majority are going to think about uh, an artistic decision, I worry about the people that need it. Mm. And I congratulate those who don't struggle with this because they're leading a much happier life. Uh, but, and, and, and I am here for those who are struggling with this because tomorrow, getting to tomorrow isn't easy and it's not a failure if you don't. Um, and I think we grossly need to uh, change the language of how we discuss suicide because it's not selfish. Um, what's selfish is making somebody else's struggle and death about you. Uh, and I will, I will die on that hill. Um, so yeah, I, I will, and I will never get to do this again. Like what's funny is I get asked about the black and white a lot. And it's like, you know, no, I'm never going to get to make a black and white movie again because the studios, like, unless you're Quran or pain or Fincher or, you know, like you don't get to do that. And you're doing it for I got to make one. Yeah. But this i will never get to talk about this again and you know and and people have asked like about remaking it with a budget like oh the story is so good we'd like to make this with names and a budget and see what a ghost weights could be with you know whatever and it's like with studio polish and it's like have at it like i will gladly cash the check yeah. but there's no way you retain the ending once you make it a million dollar film um and I'm the kind of asshole that if I only get to say something once, I'm going to say the shit out of it that one time. The, the That's my answer. From uh, Mel Brooks, if you're going to climb the mountain, ring the bell. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so I have to ask, you mentioned that there was a different ending. Can I ask what the yeah. different ending was just to be that complete nerd? No, I mean, you don't say that and not get expect. Uh, I, so the original ending Alien. was... <laughs> oh man beings an alien waits all right now i gotta make it uh, it's the sequel so i actually do have an idea for the sequel um so the original ending the a, a dominant idea with with ghost stories is the ghosts are here because of unfinished business uh so that's where i was kind of starting from and originally jack helps muriel resolve her unfinished business because that's what jack does he helps and Muriel is able to then leave because that's what people do. They leave Jack. And that's not a bad ending. But no, but that is very ending. Hollywood. Yeah. I've seen that and, picture. Yeah. I would not have thought about that picture 48 hours later. No. I, and honestly, once I had, I had seen the Bengtsons workshop their show 100 Days in Cincinnati at the No Theater in Over the Rhine. And it had just stayed in my head. And I was out one night having some drinks with, uh, with my then girlfriend and she was telling a story and I just had, I stopped her. I was like, hold on a second. Because in my head, I suddenly saw the garage and I heard the song years go by. And I was like, I have this ending. Like, this is the ending I want. This is, it feels big. 
Um, and I had to run and get a napkin and write it down. But uh, yeah, once I knew, I also just loved music and I always knew that the soundtrack would figure in hugely. So once I had the song and I'd already met the Bangsons while standing in line at Coffee Emporium and asked them if I could use some of their music for the movie. So once I had a song that I felt reasonably certain I could get, um, then it was like, okay, this is, this is a movie. This is a movie that I can be proud of for a very long time. And you wrote some of the lyrics for one of the songs, right? Yeah. The song that Muriel sings to Jack yeah. in the, the final dream, uh, my friend Margaret Darling and I wrote. I was going to say, yeah. and that was actually something I was going to bring. The soundtrack is effective. Yes. It's, Thank you. It's, it sticks. And I literally, I was sitting there, um, and I, I, my, my wife came home from work and I said, oh, we're recording tonight. And I had class right before this. So I was rushing around a little bit hectically. But then I found myself just before class going through a couple of lyrics in my head. And I'm like, oh, great. Now they're stuck there. Which is, again <laughs> is is another testament to the the impact one viewing had and, and why I'm going to have to watch it again. But I literally was sitting there going, I, I doubt it. But does Amazon have this soundtrack available? Because I need I need this. Um, nope. Because it is it is. I mean, and, and again, knowing that you were working on a very small budget and everything, like you said, the music becomes part of it. The fact that she's a singer, I mean, it's it's organically part of that story. And that, so I, I yeah, it's, it, your movie had an impact on me. I'll just leave it at that. And it was, Thank it's, you. It's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. That means the world to hear, honestly. Like, we made this, it, it's such a small movie, and I made it on my laptop. Like, we really had no idea if it was going to find an audience. Um, and I'm, I'm not being, falsely modest or anything we genuinely had no idea if it would find an audience we never we didn't know if anyone else was going to see this thing uh fright fest changed our world yeah um and because fright fest led to arrow and i mean guys i'm a kid from florence kentucky i don't know anyone who's ever made a movie i didn't grow up knowing anybody who made a movie I didn't, I, I, you feel like you're on Tatooine, you know, like it's so far away and I just, but I, I, I've known my entire life. This is the thing that I wanted to do. Um, and like I said, once you take away, you know, whatever the insecurity or the doubt or the fear that it is, that's keeping you from that, you know, um, but it never, you know, I edited this in a small bedroom in Lakeside Park, Kentucky, like right just you know about a half mile from thomas moore college mm -hmm. you you really like i can't underscore enough like we had no idea uh all told this movie cost 44 grand um how'd you like, raise it all, uh we so when we spent 2014 trying to make another movie we had met an investor who was really excited to make something and when that fell apart he asked uh our friend nick thurkettle uh they were because they worked together and this is mf thomas i'm referring to asked nick you know what's adam up to what happened with that movie and nick said well that couldn't happen but he's got some weird haunted house idea now and we got on the phone and i told him i hadn't written the script yet i told him the story as i saw it he said okay i can you know i can give 15 grand um and my mom had said when well, you have a number because for years like what do you want for christmas a budget for a movie 
Um, and she had said, if you, when you have a number, let us know. And so I called her one day and I said, I, I have 15 grand. If you guys can match it, I think I can make a movie. And uh, the next day she called and said, we talked to our accountant and we can do that. So we'll send the check tomorrow uh, or we'll send the money tomorrow. And I was in Plum Street Cafe with Brian Price and I just started crying. Um, and then I was like, oh shit, now I have to write the movie. <laughs> uh, like, whoops. <laughs> but, um, and then McLeod and I put in uh, 14 of our own which is the same McLeod. I, I did not put it up. He put in most of that 14. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, like we just, we didn't give ourselves any excuses. Um, and I have learned that like, man, there's always an excuse to not do something. And there were so many points along the way when apparently people would have been okay with me saying, eh, I think it's as good as it's going to get. But I remember telling McLeod, it's never going to be perfect but I, th- I think we can at least make it the best version of itself. And now, I mean, yeah, when I watch it, there are things here and there that's just like, oh, I wish, I wish we could have fixed that. But I'm immensely proud. And because we didn't know if it would ever get out into the world, that was really our goal was let's just make something that we're proud of and we're excited by. And at the, at the very least, uh, I can show people just in terms of like, hey, I can write a movie. You know, maybe this will lead to writing work. I had no idea that we were going to win awards, um, mm-hmm. but we did. And I don't know. It's just I. It, it's the it's like I can't explain it. <laughs> we just worked really hard. No, you and you should be so proud because James and I have failed so many times. So we were so, so envious. But you did no idea that the ultimate accolade would be to be on Bonehead Weekly. <laughs> that that was going to happen on a Thursday, I mean, September the 23rd. I'm joking. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill. <laughs> That's what Nick Meyer told us, the writer and director of Star Trek 2. <laughs> oh, Nick Meyer. I love yeah. Nick Meyer. I, I think do. about because he did uh, Star Trek Six. Yeah, and I think about Star Trek Six all the time. Yeah, like mi- multiple parts of it. Shields, shields. <laughs> like I think about Star Trek Six a lot. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> we're going to have to hang out the next time you're in Kentucky, and I will buy you dinner, and we'll have a few drinks. We need to make this happen. You know. Uh, not to, not to, you know, I, I hear you guys do something called Scarefest. I'm down. I love horror conventions now. Now that I've been to one. Well, uh, I'm more than you. happy to, to come home and <laughs> so, take up a little corner of a room somewhere. I don't own that bastard. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I am the uh, moderator. Kathy and I talked about this oh. a little bit the other day. We were messing. In fact, I had no idea we were going to strike up a friendship. It's really, it was cool. But I was, uh, I get that a lot. Some people will go, can you have that? And can you have that? Because I also do Lexington Comic Con. I do the main room there. So, um, yes, thank you. It's okay. It's not bad for a failed filmmaker. We- I get, I, I'm a professional <laughs> hanger honor. I think I said this to you the other day in a message. A professional hang on. So, yeah. I get to hang out with people no. that are really cool. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be back in Kentucky in a couple of weeks, but I'm down in Central City, which is very far from Lexington, because um, that's where my dad lives. 
but yes absolutely one of these days you let me I'm gonna know get back there and, and i will i will put in a word about the scarefest thing for you also i don't know if you know this or not but i've already recorded the review i do a weekly review for scarefest on their uh scarefest uh, tv show that they do every friday and my review this week oh, cool. is your movie oh well thank you very much you're welcome i mean i hope it's a good one I, now minutes. that i know your feelings on the ending no <laughs> but i i hope i put it as as succinct. wasn't very succinct but i wanted you to see where i was coming i i just yeah. But the best compliment I could give you, and I, I hope you understand as an artist, is that 48 hours later, I was arguing with myself. Yeah. No, that's... And whereas you told me the other ending, and I said, oh, I've seen that movie a, a two dozen times. Yeah. But your yeah. ending, the thing is, is I really think it's where I'm at in my life that mm -hmm. I view it that way. Which and makes me wonder where I'm at in my life that I went the other way. But, no, I mean, I, th I think it's great. There's like uh, I click in that revolver, James. We do. You, you said, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. As long as it's dry clicking. As long as it's dry, dry clicking. clicking. He is, you, Adam, we have made these horrible, horrible jokes to one another for 20 years. So I, but, go ahead. I mean, yes, I have friends too. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we say reprehensible shit to each other. Right, right, right. Um, no, like I have, I have plenty of movies that like, when I was a kid, I loved, and now I watch, it was like, oof. Uh, or, I mean, honestly, even Tarantino, like, he was a huge part of my development as a film fan, but to be completely honest, since Kill Bill, I haven't really, like, I can't really get into it. Um, really? Time in Hollywood, which a lot of my friends love, like, I think he is a he has a real gift for the tactility of a film and how it feels and moves, but his storytelling leaves me very cold these days. Oh, um, yeah, I feel yeah, the like *Inglorious Bastards*. I think is a great film to study, but I don't necessarily like watching. I, I feel the that's weird. Yeah, I feel the opposite. It to me, yeah. I don't know that it gets any. It never got. It'll never get better in *Pulp Fiction*. I mean, Jackie Brown is probably his most mature work. I mean, uh, not even probably. It's it's definitely his most mature work. But like, you know, it's also just. I mean, like, The Graduate was like was a huge is was has been a huge part of my life, and you know, kind of realizing that like Mike Nichols and Robert Altman are so responsible for what I find cinematic between Mash and. Uh, nashville and shortcuts and just everything yeah. like yeah and and that's great like i mean it's it's the fun part of film is like people hate frida kalo or kalo paintings like you know it it's it's fun when you're just like oh this thing that forms the firmament of my soul you think is nothing like <laughs> that's a fun conversation to have but <laughs> i really liked yeah. your movie that's, I that's, just was challenged by the ending. Well, I was You're say, welcome. But, but yes. that... Seriously. Do you know how hard that is? Oh, I'm so old and fucking jaded. Do you know how hard it is? You know how much shit I watch here and end up fast forwarding every 20 minutes going, I know where this goes. I know where this goes. I know where this goes. Our it's, friend, our friend who's not it's the on most here, validating. Our, our friend who's not on here tonight, Chad. He, his wife is a wonderful person, but he can sit there and goes, well, she, he's going to say blank. He's going to do this. And she looks at him like he's a soothsayer. 
<laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I How yeah. When I, when I <laughs> when I worked for Creative Screenwriting Magazine, I was covering festivals and I would watch like 300 movies a year. And you just get to a point where you're like, I don't think I like movies anymore. Like, I want to burn the 3X structure to the ground. And that made me, uh, that is kind of where, where it started, this whole idea of like narrative playfulness of like, yeah. well, genre is just a thing. And, you know, we can, we can do whatever we want as long as it emotionally feels real. Because when it all comes down to it, you know, my my second favorite movie of all time is gremlins 2 like if if it feels right to you because that's the most joe dante movie ever made rivaled only by uh, john goodman's monologue and matinee when he talks about why horror works but you're talking about one scene yeah i know and no I, gremlins by the 2 way, is so angry at its own existence it's amazing <laughs> I watched. I re. I rewatched Matinee. I, I agree with you. I completely agree. I rewatched Matinee a couple years ago because I loved it, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. I was like, man, he could have cut ten minutes out of this picture. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad he didn't. I, I like know. Matinee. I didn't just. It was just one of those things, you know. You have, I you're talking about. You look at it something ten years later and go, boy, pacing in this. Maybe no, five minutes here. But but isn't Joe Dante also- is another. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, isn't there also something, as I lean over to show my Blackbeard's ghost behind me, isn't there also something fascinating about film? Because I know structurally and cinema, Blackbeard's ghost is not an epic Citizen Kane film. But I'm excited that I got to show it to my kids and they were like, well, that's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool concept. The ghost has to apologize for what he did when he was alive. And I'm like, you'll go to school. And they, they went to school and they were like, my dad showed me this movie called Blackbeard's Ghost, and literally every kid and most of the teachers were like, what? What, what, what is your dad showing you? What is it? And I'm like, it's an old Disney movie. And they're like, what? <laughs> okay. So, anyway. yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, and I don't know why I think to talk about this, but, um, you know, as I, as I talk about making this movie and, and especially talking with people that it, it really meant something to, like, it did. Um, filmmaking is such a silly endeavor um and a a thing that i i don't like that i kind of keep it in my mind of just like because i'm working you know mcleod and i are working on a couple films now that you know we it's like oh maybe this will be what we do next um and when i get really in my head about it i remember that uh because this came together so fast because we had the money and then i had to write the script very fast I typically name characters and title a piece very late in the process. I write a lot of A, B, A, B, C scenes. And I couldn't do that here. And because we had a bunch of documents that we have to make uh, for casting and whatnot. So in order to do that, I went home and I opened up my Tom Waits discography (laughs) and I named every character after a Tom Waits song. And the movie is called A Ghost Waits After Tom Waits. (laughs) And no one ever asked me to change it. Like filmmaking is ridiculous. You have no idea what's gonna work. It's hilarious. It's hilarious because for uh, six months I read I I read Re- uh, Llama Llama Red Pajama in my best Tom Waits impersonation. I would say, well, God's away on business. Can, can that be the uh, can that be the 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 add on to this episode? What Llama Llama <laughs> yeah, Red Pajama? Nobody wants read by Joe as Red by Joe. Tom Waits. I want to hear it. Pajama. I didn't cross it for his mom. 
Sorry. It's anyway, and, and by the way, God bless. I love a bad most, Tom Waits impression. It's my no, favorite thing. No, no one, no one. Most people don't even know who the fuck that is. So at least we're having this conversation. Yeah. Speaking, Philistines. Philistines. Speaking of of writing though, and that actually is something because I like I said I, I I dream of writing a novel, and once again I just need to finish one. That would probably be a good start. But that being said, when you're writing for film, and knowing that in this case you're writing for a very low budget. How does that affect the way you write? Whereas I think about novels, I don't have to justify anything. I don't have to think about how it's going to look. I just, oh, right. the world's made of stars. There you go. Man, screenwriting is weird. You are writing a logistical, you are writing a logistical document that should make people feel things. Like try writing an air like an airplane manifest that makes someone cry. Um, say, so, so an Excel spreadsheet that has me to yeah. Yeah, you're base, that's basically what it is. Yeah. Um because so McLeod and I had this conversation, it's very existential conversation one day about what is a movie. And I said, a movie is a scene, the people that play that scene, a place that scene happens in, and recording implements to document the playing of said scene. Anything else is indulgence because we knew we weren't going to have a lot of money. So um, and I, I also like classic film and TV. Uh, I think it's fascinating to watch when they really had no idea what they were doing and they were inventing a medium whole cloth. Right. Um, and when it comes to horror, I tend to be an old horror person with the, the innocence and the uninvited. Um, that's, that's kind of my jam far more than most things made these days. Um, and what's great about classic film and TV is that the lessons that you take from the Twilight Zone are still sound. Like all of them still work. So if you know that you can't afford a lot, that just means you can't afford effects. It means you can't afford a lot of locations. It means you can't afford a lot of crew, a lot of cast, but it doesn't mean you can't afford to make a movie. You just have to focus on the drama you have to, well, you focus on the characters and the story. I think Tolstoy in his diary wrote that like the four most important parts of a story are in descending order are transition, context, character, story. Um, you just, yeah, like, because you can find good actors. You know, you don't have to have a million dollars to find good actors. Um, you just have to work harder. And I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that you will not outwork me. Yeah. I don't, I don't sleep a lot. I will find you. Um, I, it's the Michael Jordan thing. Like if I'm not practicing, somebody else is. And when I meet them, they will beat me. Like yeah. I, I just, if you can't afford to pay someone to do a job, that job still needs to be done. Um, which is why like, you know, we shot, so we shot, it's like 20 days over the course of three years. There's 12 days principal photography in August, 2016, four days pickups in April, 2017, and four days pickups in February, 2018. Uh, I shot the pickups. So, you know, uh, which is part of why it's in black and white is because two different cameras, two different shooters, two different lighting packages didn't quite cohere the way I wanted it to. But again, it really all comes back to don't allow yourself any excuses to hide behind um the the whole thing like william goldman has the line nobody knows anything um, yeah 
that's true. But that is too often used as an excuse for subpar work. Right. And we weren't in a position to allow ourselves any, any excuses. Yeah. But the effects, the lack thereof, are so effective in the movie. Like when you do, when he's talking to himself, it looks great. The just, the, Thank you. just the just the light from underneath, and the wind look great. And and when it's in black and white with the simple makeup, it's extremely effective. And it's all that new movie needed. I was saying mm-hmm. that. Speaking of which, I love that talking to yourself. See where he has something like, "Well, this will be fun." Like, you know, how often do you actually get to do that? Like, how often? Yeah. I, can't, I always joke, and I tell, uh, I, I've even told students this. I was like, listen, if you're aggravated by being with me in a classroom <laughs> for an hour and a half a week, imagine how aggravated I am. I have to be with me 24 7. Oh, yeah. Everywhere and, I go, there I am, right? And that's what I'm, and so I was like, so, and I always tell them because even when I do these online classes, I'm like, if you hate the sound of my voice, I have to edit this video to post to, yeah. you know, and I, and I have to post it. And so I hear myself and I hear when the Kentucky twang comes out, if I get aggravated, it's only worse, et cetera, et cetera. And so I always tell them, I was like, so that seems another scene where I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to meet myself, but if I was going to, well, let's, just, let's make this something. We're going to do it. That, that was the last scene that we shot and we the dreams were very important. Um, and the first couple, uh, the first couple of pro- uh, approaches didn't work and they consistently didn't work. Like notes were always, this doesn't work to the point that they're like, maybe we just lose the dreams. It's like, well, no, no, no. We need the dreams to buy the third one, which is hugely important. Um, like at one point there was a talking dog in this movie that's how much it changed over over time (laughs) so uh and mccloud and i were trying to figure out what the dreams would be and i don't remember exactly how the idea came about but it so charlie kaufman once told me synecdoche new york happened because sony wanted to make a horror movie with charlie kaufman and spike jones Mm -hmm. and spike jones left to do where the wild things are and that's how charlie ended up directing synecdoche uh but after that meeting literally all they said was we want to make a horror movie with you guys you figure out what it's about and charlie went home and said well what scares me the relentless progression of time and once you hear that and it's like, oh, well, then horror can be about anything. What scares me? Um, and what I realize is that I, I am kind of constantly chasing actualization. And what scares me is not being a person because that's how I felt for so long. Um, and so what's a better way to articulate that than to have someone literally talk to themselves and it's a very unforgiving version of themselves. Themselves. So, um, yeah. And at that point, like, I really, I was writing it, like, on set. Just like, this is what we're saying. Uh, so even though, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a Shining homage. It's very much not. I have a rule that you should never remind the audience they could be watching a better movie. But. Uh, <laughs> James, <laughs> that's where we fucked up, bud. I was going to say. 
That's where we went wrong, we man. We need to start Why making children's just... movies, evidently. We won't, we won't make the mistake of alluding to things. Like, there's very, very slim chance that I'm going to yeah. move into a, a Schindler's List homage in my children's movies, <laughs> so I should be okay. It'd be amazing if you did, though. Yeah, well, and that's a problem. I'll accidentally do it regardless. I, yeah. yeah. Like, no, 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 it's very important. They're all wearing red coats. Um, <laughs> I almost met a red coat joke, and then I thought, oh, no. On the way to the Bubblegum Mountain, all the children one girl's wearing red. a gray coat. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. No, like, it, it, like, this, and honestly, talking about this movie often turns into therapy because so much of it is just me talking. Um, there are parts of this movie that I did not know I was answering a question about the movie. McLeod would just say like, what about this? And I would just answer honestly. And he's like, okay, that goes in. Like, well, shit. <laughs> like, I didn't expect that to go in. Okay. Um, yeah. And does that have I don't know. And, and like that can often lead to disaster, but it didn't here. Thankfully. I'd say, does that does that have a different type of th- uh, reaction then as you, as you now, this is out in the world, right? And you're seeing, as you mentioned, things on facebook about it but then you have people say oh that struck me like that is and so does that does that humanize your own uh, humanize may not be there or does that humanize your experience more um yes yes it does i again i have a problem with dissociation and george clooney another proud kentuckian Mm -hmm. said one time if you're going to believe them when they say how good you are, you have to believe them when they say how bad you are. So I, I'm very proud of what we made. And like I said, that was the North star. That was the goal. Um, so when the reviews started coming in and they were very good, it's very moving and it's very validating that people get what you're doing, but you can't let that like run your day. Um, because we've gotten plenty of bad reviews where people are just like, there are no boobs and very little blood in this movie. I do not like it. Uh, and okay, like, that's fine. Like, Joe Bob tra- has a huge audience. Um, you the know, trailer I- misled them. <laughs> <laughs> so many boobs and blood. Oh my God. Why was this um, movie subtitled Boobs and Blood? You could, I have done it like a, you could have done like a Corman picture that Joe Dante would have edited the trailer for in the late 70s. Uh, there would have been X amount of boobs and blood from another us- movie that wasn't in that one that Corman was showing. This this maybe, movie maybe. was advertised in Hustler as a ghost waits for blood and boobs. And I, I feel that I was misled by Hustler. 24 would have picked us up if we'd misrepresented the movie yeah Yeah. Uh, um yeah i i don't don't even remember the question now (laughs) if you were a toy in a toy box (laughs) if you were a type of tree wind up robot <laughs> i do have one um, last question and, and we okay. probably do need to wrap it up this is almost two hours and i gotta work tomorrow but the question is you were talking about your favorite second favorite movie being gremlins to the new bitch which i think is amazing what's number one because i have a hard time answering this question and i get it a lot and you're a filmmaker so you get it even more than i do true um I, I honestly don't even think about it anymore. Do the right thing. Uh, do the right thing, Gremlins 2, MASH. Those are my big three. Uh, beyond those, it kind of gets into like probably The Graduate, probably Requiem for a Dream, probably, you know, 
there's there's a lot um there's there's a lot pulp fictions in there somewhere mm-hmm. but uh i i feel very comfortable with do the right thing gremlins 2 and mash hmm. okay yeah that's a, that's an interesting mix of films too it is yeah i had somebody tell me one time i was wrong because 25th hour is just as racist but better and i was like weird i'm talking <laughs> hold on hold oh, on just as racist but better I, by the way, the only yeah. thing I remember about 25th Hour, if I remember correctly, is the line, champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. And I watched the film, and the only thing I remember, however long later, is that line. It's a great movie. Like, there's the monologue in the mirror that Edward Wharton gives, which is what the guy was referring to. There's the amazing ending that Brian Cox narrates. Um, and there's so much. Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is probably my favorite actor of all time, like is just great as this sad sack teacher um he played a lot of great sad sacks like if you've never seen happiness his performance in happiness everyone's performance in happiness is amazing um that movie will ruin your day uh but yeah i i i i don't know people watch movies weird like i talk to some folks and it's just like all right like i don't know how that i have a john carpenter shirt which is a stack of vhs tapes with a bunch of his movies in it and i when i was flying back to new york from uh from kentucky a few days ago uh the tsa agent said you know the best movie in there is they live or no escape from new york and uh and like it's halloween and they live and uh the -hmm. fog and the thing and you know uh and i was like okay like (laughs) you're allowed to think that um and he just kept on like you know they live as such a pedestrian film and like halloween like whatever it has a following he said that, but like, the tsa agent said they live as a pedestrian film now there's there's a lot yes. to unpack there one is why is the yeah. tsa agent going that deep <laughs> two two i mean you take a pedestrian shoes, it's take like a line belt. from family guy i'm sorry i felt was it i found the godfather pedantic <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's shallow and pedantic. Shallow and pedantic. Uh, yeah. I prefer the money pit. <laughs> I have kind of learned that a lot of people watch movies in a very Pokemon way of gotta catch them all. And so they're not really analyzing or giving any thought to subtext or mise en scene or any of that stuff. It is really just like adding to their letterbox list of I have now seen 500 movies. I have now seen 600 movies. Like it really just seems like a consumption of content. Uh, And this was an older person. Um, You know, generally when we, when we kind of stereotype generations, we say that it's the young people that aren't really watching movies, but this guy was old as shit and did not care. So I love escape from New York as well. I love escape from New York as well. It's very good. It's not, it wasn't, it's not even an argument. It's just like, why would you even make the comment about they live? Assault on Precinct 13 is on the shirt. And I think Assault on Precinct 13 is incredible. Like, I remember watching it. And when the little girl gets like, is holding the ice cream and gets killed. I just was like, this movie is not fucking around. Let's do this. (laughs) But that's, that's a perfect example of that in Halloween about having very little and doing the most of what exactly the movie needed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John Carter. I mean, I don't know where on the list, but like John Carter is a pretty amazing director and uh kind of made all the more i mean like in the mouth of madness and prince of darkness are just 
Oh, yeah. oh god he's so good um but like now where he's just like i don't know i have beer money y'all can go to hell i like yeah i kind of get it i do too <laughs> like, i do too yeah and, and i've watched so much tape well not tape i mean you and so many videos because that would be a dream for us to have him on the show and I, I i will tell him look this is what you say this is what you say in every interview you can just say it to me when you're done i've got to go meet my drug dealer <laughs> he says it in every <laughs> fucking thing youtube it tomorrow yeah. adam most of them, all the conventions that he didn't do for years until the last few years. Well, uh, I got to go meet my drug dealer. So, yeah, I get it. Just sit on the couch and we. we I live we, in New York. My drug dealer comes to me. <laughs> we live in Kentucky. We can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it is, though. I, I think that, and, and going back to what you're saying, though, I think there's, there's a Patton Oswald line that I often think about where he says the difference between being a fan in your 20s and being a fan in your 30s and 40s is that he and he, he uses music as an example in my 20s if somebody said oh, i really like nickelback i would take time out of my life to tell them why they were wrong and they yeah. never changed their mind and all i did was rant and he goes the difference is now in my 40s i'm like oh well, all right then <laughs> and yeah you just go you know, i it's so nice now to like I'm a big fan of don't lament what's not there, celebrate what is. And it's so nice when you find your tribe. It's so nice when you find somebody who like also loves a, a filmmaker. A very, like if you have an obscure filmmaker that you love and they love them, or conversely, if you have a very prominent filmmaker that you cannot stand and they also cannot stand them. Like, it's just nice. But when I meet someone who loves someone I cannot stand or can't stand someone I love, it's just so easy to say, okay, and never think about it again. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm tired. I don't know if it's because I'm mature. You know, it's but funny. Like, it's I 40. never have to think about this again. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is, it's like those people you're talking about who are ready to die. Don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, the yeah. white goes into the beard and you just stop giving like, a shit. Gives, you know, and, by, and Matt, you're 40 times it by two. Imagine being 80. Well, you get I, I, it. <laughs> It's like, shit, yeah, I'm ready to go. Until you see a guy in the line at an airport right. and you decide to give a weird shit. Yeah. yeah. I got, I 85, I got to go meet my drug dealer or God. Just pick one. <laughs> and actually, if I'm lucky, they're the same hey. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, it's about time you transcend to heaven. But before you do, one good hit of this. <laughs> So speaking of transcending, James, did you have a last question? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I just, uh, again, thank you for doing this and, and thank you for putting this out there. And, and, and as somebody that, uh, again, I, I don't parallel experiences, but I've had anxiety and depression before and things like that. And, and I agree with what you said. It did put it in perspective, putting out there something like this to say to people that, you know, you're not alone if you've considered this, I think mm -hmm. is important. So thank you for that. Thank and you. thank you it, for giving me something to think about. It this this has been an absolute pleasure, and I, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time. You know, especially films of this at this level, like we live and die by word of mouth, and even beyond that, it's such a pleasure to talk to people who know what the hell Lakeside Park is. Um, 
it, uh, yeah, this has been really nice. And I know, I, I know, I didn't mean I to appreciate come up on the Applebee's thing earlier, but like I've been drunk in that Applebee's <laughs> more than once. And well, and, and like I said, at, at, and to your point, no, I I am going to be singing the praises of this film for a while because I want other people to see it so we can have conversations like we've had tonight. So and, we'll be sharing that, it. I want you to tell us all the places where can you get the Blu-ray. Uh, oh gosh. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it from Arrow's website. Uh, although they are UK based, so I would recommend like I think it's Diabolique DVD is the US distributor. Um, so it'll actually play on your player. Uh, and then yeah, if you don't have a Blu-ray player, you can rent it on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, but I, I will say if you if you can buy the Blu-ray, please do because I uh, when we got acquired by Arrow their you know their their huge their big thing is premium home video releases um you know kathy's favorite home video release is their release of basket case uh which is why i now own that um they're they're a really great company in that regard and when they said that they wanted to do this my job disappeared uh my day job is directing audiobooks and that dried up completely during covid so when they acquired us i had a ton of time and coordinated the special features so um i'm i'm really proud of every bit of it and i i even like i even put together the menu when you put it in like the first like i i'm just i'm a very proud dad um and a blu-ray dad and uh, i do not have children uh not that you know but, of <laughs> no i just don't i don't i can't even make that joke i no, know i'm going to start making uh, that bullshit rumor all over the town bud. <laughs> you go to hell i know adam <laughs> adam oh but uh, again papa was a rolling stone you, what, mean, what? you mean that very sad man that no one wanted to be around in his 20s that and guy, by the way pretty that sure. shit was catnip let <laughs> <laughs> me well, cheer you up to, so speaking of, what are some of the special features on the blu-ray if you don't mind me asking we have three commentaries. Uh, one is McLeod Andrews and me. One is cast and crew. And then the, the, one, the, the last one, um, I had this thought that I've never heard like a personal commentary. Like I, how much, like, I, like I'd love to hear Edgar Wright and his best friend talk about what it was like to make Shaun of the Dead from a personal perspective. Mm -hmm. So uh, Corey Luffer, who's one of my oldest and closest friends, um, she and I did that commentary together. There are eight cast and crew interviews. There's a video essay by Isabel Custodio, who runs an amazing YouTube channel called Be Kind Rewind. There's an outtakes reel. There's um, footage from our world premiere at Frightfest Glasgow, where I was a complete puppy dog and totally overwhelmed and just like cried my way through a Q&A pretty much. Uh, yeah, like, and I think there's even more stuff that I'm blanking on, but um yeah we really like because i'm a there's a store there's a there's a store here in new york that uh, it's called book off i think where i would just like walk through the aisle and i wanted to make something where the cover would make me stop and look at it so sister high did an amazing job on the art and then you turn it around and like there's so many times where you turn it around to see what the special features are and it's like the movie in 1080p and the the theatrical trailer and you're like you movie that's not really that's not special features I so find that i YouTube. wanted mm -hmm. yeah i wanted to make something that i would want to buy even if i'd never heard of it like i'll take a flyer on this so it was really cool to be able to 
to paraphrase Gandhi, build the Blu-ray I wish was in the world. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like he'd like that legacy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but yeah, if you don't have that, then we're, we're available for rental on a lot of sites. And then Arrow has its own streaming channel, arrow-player.com, uh, which has amazing genre and cult stuff. Um, and they're pretty, I think it's only like $4.99 a month and you, there might still be a code for three months free. I don't know. I, so I actually may have to check that out. I wasn't aware that they had their own channel. It's really good. And they're, it's very respectful. Like the, the boxes don't come up until the very end of the credits. You know, they really respect the work of the filmmakers, which is a thing that I now give a shit about. (laughs) So you put a lot of work into it so as as we always say on bonehead weekly who do we pay james the artist i was (laughs) dancing christ he had one job no you were doing the bill tippett you had one job dinosaur wrangler you let all you know every now and then carl malone didn't catch the pass from john stock yeah yeah i was gonna say it's it's Uh, go back to my highlight reel i normally get it but no pay the pay the artist we say that on here all the time you know i was going with pay the writer is what i was thinking because i see that's the ellison line but yeah yeah and honestly if there's uh if that's not a satisfactory answer uh aghostweights.com is the website and we're all on social media at adam stovall at aghostweights at mccott andrews um on twitter like we're and we're pretty accessible so if there's anything if there's any questions or whatever like please feel free to hit us up um i'm also on instagram but you know that doesn't seem as big for conversation no, but now that i know that you're there when i start doing the quotes on twitter again i'll just start tagging you so you'll block me <laughs> I would please stop. never. Please stop. You're not helping us. Please stop. You're not helping us. Please stop. All right. Well, we're going to wrap no, it up. That's lovely. Check. Yeah, it's only been what two hours. I'm sorry. It's been a ghost way. I want you to go out and check this movie out. This movie was thoroughly enjoyed by James and I. It made me question a lot of things and how I feel about life. How I and feel now that I know it's time waits linked. And now I know time's wait. And, and how I feel about what may or may not be after this. So I can't give you a better compliment than that, man. Check out a ghost weights, Adam, you are welcome on the show. Anytime you want to come on. Thank you very much. Um, and I think Diabolik DVD is about to do a thing where there'll be a code you can enter that gets a signed copy of the movie. I'm, I'm about to sign like a bunch of copies. So um, Ooh, well, if that's a thing that you like. You. Yeah, I like signatures, but I want you to just here's a here's a creepy. Just come hang out in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right, this, this is how I die. So, this, yeah, yeah. Well, at least this is recorded. So you'll no, have you guys, there. you guys, I'll I'll sign it in person. We'll we'll get together at Applebee's and oh, get drunk. And... No, 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 <laughs> no. I'll tell you. A story no, no, no. you're in Lexington. We're gonna hang out at uh, Two Keys. Come on. Yeah. Oh, that closed. Yeah, COVID victim. Oh, All right. no. It's Did almost two hours. COVID? We got to stop. This has been Bonehead <laughs> okay. Weekly. You and I will talk as soon as we push stop. Buy his damn movie, A Ghost Waits. Uh-huh. <laughs>